Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 208 of the GDPR Weekly Show, the number one GDPR podcast worldwide. And coming up in this week's episode, we have news of a cyber attack on the NHS 111 system. We then have news that the Conservative Party here in the UK has had to delay its leadership election process because of cybersecurity concerns. Remaining in the UK, we have a new report that the UK is the child fraud capital of Europe. And we then have news that the Church of England ISB safeguarding chair has had to step down after a number of data breaches. We then look at a ruling from the CJEU, which has ruled that the names of partners could expose the sexual orientation of data subjects. We then have news that the Mayor of London's decision to allow the Metropolitan Police access to AMPR cameras images is to face a legal challenge from privacy campaigners. We then travel to Australia, where the University of Western Australia has had a data breach, and then to Canada, where Prince Edward Island Arts Centre has had a data breach. We then travel to the Virgin Islands, where the Virgin Islands Budget Office has requested an FBI visit over a possible data breach. We then travel to Wilsonville in Oregon, where Rantry Health has had a data breach. And we then have news that users are still unable to access their Neopets accounts after a recent data breach, which we reported to you previously here on the GDPR Weekly Show. We then travel to Switzerland, where Solana and Slope confirm a data breach affecting cryptocurrency. And we then have news that Twitter has confirmed how its recent data breach occurred. We then travel to New Mexico, where First Choice Healthcare has had a data breach. And we then have news that survey platform Question Pro has had a data breach. We then travel to Germany, where Semicron has had a data breach. And then to Texas, where Gata Group has had a data breach. We then travel to Brussels, where the country of Slovenia has been criticised by the European Commission for its failure to fully implement GDPR, even though we're now some four years since GDPR was first introduced. And finally this week, we have news that ad tech platform Critio has been fined $65 million by the French Data Protection Authority, CNIL, for GDPR violations. So as always, a wide range of articles for you this week. We hope that you find the information in the articles useful and informative. As always, if you have any feedback for us, do email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. Wished it was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR Made Simple. Available now on Amazon. A software outage affecting the NHS 111 service was caused by a cyber attack. Advanced, the firm providing digital service to the NHS 111, said the attack was spotted at 7 o'clock BST on Thursday the 4th of August. The attack targeted the system used to refer patients for care, including ambulances being dispatched, out-of-hours appointment bookings and emergency prescriptions. The NHS said disruption from the attack was minimal. The National Crime Agency said it was aware of a cyber incident and was working with Advance. A security issue was identified yesterday, which resulted in loss of service, said Advance boss Simon Shaw on Friday. We confirm that the incident is related to a cyber attack and as a precaution, we immediately isolated all our health and care environments. Early intervention from our incident response team contained this issue to a small number of servers, representing 2% of our health and care infrastructure. Advance indicated the issue might not be fully resolved until next week. As a result of the outage, family doctors in London were warned by NHS England that they could see an increased number of patients sent to them by NHS 111 due to a significant technical issue. In a letter to GPs in the capital, it said that the problem was affecting the electronic referral process for patients. Also on Friday, the Welsh Ambulance Service warned that it may take longer for calls to be answered over the weekend. 
In a statement, it said, There is a major outage of a computer system that is used to refer patients from NHS 111 Wales to out-of-hours GP providers. The ongoing outage is significant and has been far-reaching impact in each of the four nations in the UK. An NHS England spokesperson said there were currently minimal disruption and it was monitoring the situation. NHS 111 services are still available for patients who are unwell, but as ever, if it's an emergency, please call 999, they said. There is currently minimal disruption and the NHS will continue to monitor the situation as it works with advance to resolve their software system as quickly as possible. Tried and tested contingency plans are in place for local areas of the service. A Scottish government spokesperson said it was aware of reported disruption to one of NHS Scotland's IT supplier systems and is working with all health boards collaboratively on a four-nations basis with the National Cyber Security Centre and the supplier to fully understand the potential impact. It said continuity plans are in place. A spokesperson for Northern Ireland's Department of Health said they are working to keep disruption to a minimum as a precaution to avoid the risk to other critical systems and services. Access to the company's services from the HSC Health and Social Care System has been disabled while the incident is contained, they said. If we get any further update on this, either from the NHS, the National Cyber Security Centre or the ICO, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Main headline news here in the UK is, of course, the selection of a new leader for the Conservative Party, who, because the Conservative Party are the party in power, will also become the new Prime Minister. The Conservative Party, though, had to delay its leadership selection process this week after GCHQ warned that hackers might be able to change people's votes. Around 160,000 Conservative Party members are set to elect either Liz Truss or Rishi Sunak as the UK's Prime Minister. GCHQ didn't include a specific threat from a hostile state, and the advice was more general about the voting process and its vulnerabilities. Following its concerns, the Conservatives have been forced to abandon plans to allow members to change their vote for the next leader later in the contest. Defending UK democratic and electoral processes is a priority for the National Cyber Security Centre, and we work closely with all parliamentary political parties, local authorities and MPs to provide cybersecurity guidance and support, a spokesperson from the NCSC said. They went on, as you would expect from the UK's National Cyber Security Authority, we provide advice to the Conservative Party on security considerations on its online leadership voting. Postal ballots are yet to be issued to party members, which should arrive as late as the 11th of August, and reportedly started to be sent out on Monday. We have consulted with the National Cyber Security Centre throughout this process and have decided to enhance security around the ballot process. Eligible members will start receiving ballot packs this week, a Conservative Party spokesman said. The UK is the charge for capital of Europe, the most victims per thousand people and the losses are highest, a think tank has said in a study this week. Britain suffer far more child fraud than any people in any European country. UK losses from child fraud are also much higher. The SMF revealed the results in its analysis of European Central Bank data. The SMF has called on the government to adopt a comprehensive whole systems approach to address fraud starting with recruiting more specialist staff that are trained to handle complex crime like fraud and other economic crime types. There are several different measurements on the scale of child fraud, all yielding slightly different data that aren't directly comparable, but all sources suggest that a, but all sources suggest that child fraud is roughly half of all fraud activity and therefore the single most common form of fraud. The City of London Police, England and Wales's lead force for fraud, said that check and child fraud was the most frequently reported type of fraud through action fraud in 2020-21, with 336,770 reports. 
Card fraud is 45% of all fraud losses according to UK Finance. UK Finance also estimated that the total number of instances of taste of fraud on the UK issued cards was 2,835,622 in 2020, up from 2016 when there were 1,820,726 instances. According to the Crime Service for England and Wales, between April 21 and March 2022, there were 2.3 million bank and card frauds, 1.4 million consumer and retail frauds, 599,000 advanced free frauds and 245,000 other frauds. Bank and card frauds are 51% of the total recorded frauds committed against residents of England and Wales and recorded by the Crime Survey for England and Wales. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com To the Church of England now and the Chair of the Fledgling Independent Safeguarding Board, the ISB, Professor Maggie Atkinson, has been asked to step back from her role after a second complaint that she breached data and confidentiality was upheld. In a statement published on the Church of England Safeguarding webpages on Thursday, the Bishop of Rochester, Dr Jonathan Gibbs, who is the lead safeguarding bishop, said that a complaint had been made to the National Church Institution includes the National Safeguarding Team from an unnamed individual data subject about a data and confidentiality breach by Professor Atkinson. The complaint has been upheld, he said, We've notified the Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO, and the Archbishop's Council has made a serious incident report to the charity. Two weeks ago, the ICO upheld a complaint from a survivor of cervical abuse, the Reverend Graham Sawyer, that Professor Atkinson broke data protection rules during their correspondence about the interim redress scheme for survivors. However, it's understood that Dr Gibbs' statement refers to a separate incident. He said, We apologise to the data subject for the distress cause, and the Chair has been asked to step back from her role as we await a response from the ICO. We would like to stress that the rights of individuals to protect their data and our duty to use that data properly in any aspect of our work is paramount. The ISB, which has been given the task to oversee the National Safeguarding Team, was announced by Dr Gibbs in 2020 and established the following year with Professor Atkins as chair. Its independence and, by extension, the effectiveness of its scrutiny of church safeguarding practices has repeatedly been called into question by survivors. Dr Gibbs concluded his statement saying that independent oversight continues to be a key part of making the church a safer place for all, but it will take time to embed its work to ensure it has the confidence concerned. We're in contact with the other members of the ISB who will continue in their work and there will be further updates in due course. A statement from the ISB on Thursday said, The ISB regrets it's been necessary to ask Maggie Atkins and Chair of ISB to step aside whilst the ICO investigates. We support their decision. The ISB recognises and is grateful for all the work undertaken to date by Maggie Atkinson. The ISB acknowledges the importance of keeping personal data safe. The work of the ISB continues with the shortly to be published first report into survivor experiences authored by survivor advocate Lead Jasvinda Sanjera, CBE. Wish there was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR made simple. Available now on Amazon. An interesting ruling from the Court of Justice of the EU about data capable of revealing sensitive personal data of an individual this week. The court ruled that publication of widely used personal data attributes, such as a person's name, can reveal sensitive personal information about someone else and their disclosure can therefore be prohibited under EU data protection law. The Court of Justice ruled that any data capable of revealing sensitive personal data of an individual by means of an intellectual processing operation, for example comparison or deduction, falls within the umbrella of special category personal data under Article 9 of GDPR, to which straight data protection laws apply. In this case, the CJA user is possible to determine an individual's sexual orientation 
through publication of the name of their spouse. GDPR, as you know, governs the processing of personal data, particularly stringent rules apply to personal data that falls within the umbrella of special category data. Processing of special category data, which includes disclosure of the data, is generally prohibited, though on can be justified if rigorous conditions are met. Data concerning the person's sexual orientation constitutes special category data under GDPR. The case before CJEU concerned a dispute that has arisen before the courts in Lithuania between a director of a Lithuanian environmental protection company that received public funds and the Ethics Commission. The dispute concerns the Lithuanian law on reconciliation of interests that requires persons working in the public service to make public disclosures of private interests. Disclosures are published on a register that is publicly accessible on the internet and they're designed to offer transparency over and prevent conflicts of interests of and corruption in the public sector. The Ethics Commission oversees compliance with the law. Now, indeed, of course, we have a similar situation here in the UK, particularly for, example, councillors. Uh, any councillors on the council have to reveal their personal property interests and financial interests and those of their spouse. And it's the inclusion of data on the spouse which is the subject of the case and could have interesting ramifications here in the UK once the full impact of the ruling is understood. In this particular case, the director has challenged the disclosure requirements before the Lithuanian courts. The man has argued that the publication information he's obliged to provide would adversely affect his and others' persons' rights to privacy. However, the Ethics Commission has argued there's justification for interference with the private laws of the director and his spouse in the law of reconciliation. A regional administrative court in the country's capital Vilnius subsequently asked the CJEU to help it interpret the law relevant to dispute. The laws relevant to dispute contain conflicting provisions. On the one hand, Lithuanian law mandates disclosure of private interests to prevent conflicts of interest and corruption in the public sector. And on the other hand, EU data protection laws effectively limit when personal data and special category data can be disclosed. The CJEU, in its decision, held that Lithuanian law reconciliation of interest pursues legitimate purposes in the public interest of seeking to strengthen the safeguards for probity and impartiality of public sector decision makers to prevent conflicts of interest and to combat corruption of the sector. However, it said that an EU law precludes publication of some information under the Lithuanian law since it constitutes an unjustified serious interference with the privacy rights and rights to protection of personal data. The ruling specifically precludes online publication of name-specific data that relates to a person at the head of an organisation in receipt of public funds or their spouse, cohabitee or partner or to persons who are close relatives of the detriment or are known by him or her. The CJU also said that the online publication of personal data within declarations of private interest is liable to disclose indirectly the sexual orientation of the natural person and constitutes places in special categories of personal data under GDPR. It will be for the Vilnius court to determine whether the data subject to disclosure in this case is special category data. According to CJEU, the Lithuanian court is of the view that it is possible to deduce from the name-specific data relating to the spouse, cohabitee or partner of the declarant, certain information concerning the sex life or orientation of the declarant and his or her spouse, cohabitee or partner, even though the data to be published under the Lithuanian law of reconciliation of interest is not inherently sensitive data. Once this ruling has been considered, I think it's going to have interesting ramifications here in the UK. For example, it could mean that councils still maintain a register of interest of their councillors and their spouses or partners, but perhaps they don't publish the name of the partner when that information is disclosed on the internet. So the council would know who the partner was, but they remain anonymous. Information displayed on the internet, I think that would be a logical conclusion in this case. 
You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To London now, and a challenge has been mounted by a group against the use of automated number plate recognition cameras by the Mayor of London. London uses a network of automated number plate recognition cameras to scan the roads with vehicles entering and leaving its road charging zones. Every day, around 13,000 cameras capture 55 million reads, as number plate identifications are known, according to figures from the National Police Chiefs Council. But nowhere are they more densely packed than the capital city, which is believed to have around 2,000 cameras, sending tens of millions of reads a day back to their operator, Transport for London. Now the Mayor of London has given police access to more data from a larger number of cameras, and privacy campaigners are up in arms. London Assembly member Sean Berry who, along with privacy campaigners the Open Rights Group, is bringing a legal challenge against the mayor's decision, said it's kind of terrifying. They warned that although standard number plates may seem innocent, they're not. Firstly, because the record of vehicle journeys is an intimate insight into a driver or passenger's movements. Secondly, because AMPR cameras do not just stand for numbers and letters, they also take pictures, including the front of vehicle photo, taking everything that happens to be around when the image is snapped. This includes the colour of major vehicles and potentially the faces of drivers and passing pedestrians, what is known by the London authorities as enhanced contextual data. Previously, the Metropolitan Police only had access to data from AMPR cameras in central London and did not receive any images, only reads of where and when a particular number of plate was picked up. Now the force has been given full access to cameras across inner London, an area where far more people lived than central London, 3.8 million people as compared to 200,000, and it will be able to see photographs as well. A spokesperson for the Mayor of London said, Modern technology has a vital role to play in protecting Londoners and tackling serious crime. The use of traffic cameras for NPR has been in place since 2015, after being introduced by the previous Mayor. We're considering the letter and will respond in due course. The Metropolitan Police defended the need for the data, saying it helped the police protect the public and avoid errors in identifying vehicles. AMPR images were extremely unlikely to be of sufficient quality to identify the driver or passengers, the force said, adding that in any case, Londoners have little expectation of privacy when they're driving their cars. Sean Berry is more specific. She says the additional access creates the prospect of a privacy campaigner's worst nightmare, a database filled with deeply personal data which can be searched by the police whenever they want. We do know that there have been police disciplined and expelled for stalking their ex-partners using data lease hold, she says. When there aren't proper controls, it really increases the risk of any kind of harm. Ms Berry points out that the police can get data from AMPR cameras for investigation, a power that was used 33,000 times by the Metropolitan Police in 2020 alone, but they have to request and give reasons for using the data. The access given by the Mayor to create a database for police to play with, she says, noting that it would be simple to run facial recognition stands on the pictures. In a letter to the Mayor notifying him that they intend to take legal action, Ms Berry and the Open Rights Group argue that the decision to extend the Metropolitan Police's powers in this way was illegal because it was granted without proper consultation. When Sadiq Khan authorised the access in May this year, he cited a public consultation held in 2014, an exercise that campaigners and lawyers at Bindsman's argue cannot account for such a large-scale increase in police access. With a stroke of a pen, Sadiq Khan has taken a decision that violates the basic privacy rights of millions of Londoners, says Jim Killock, Executive Director of the Open Rights Group, which is calling on the mayor to hold a full-scale public consultation. Mr Tillett fears there would be worse to come, as the mayor plans to expand the ultra-low emission zone to cover the whole of Greater London from the end of 2023, signifying increasing the number and scope of AMPR cameras. If this happens, he says, every single car-driving pedestrian in Greater London will be subject to surveillance by the Metropolitan Police, 
yet the people of London will have had no say in this. If we get any update on this from the Mayor of London, we will of course bring it to you in the next web episode of the Public Show. To Australia now, and the University of Western Australia has revealed a data breach that may have compromised the personal information and grades of current and past students. The university notified students and alumni of the breach of its Calista student information system on Friday as investigations into the extent of the attack continue. Calista is used by numerous educationists across Australia, including Monash University and Cowan University. The University of Western Australia has detected unauthorised login activity to Calista the university's student information management system, Vice-Chancellor Amit Takma, said in a statement. The university is currently investigating this data breach and unauthorised access. This incident has also been reported to the Western Australian Police for investigation. The university said personal information held in Calista that was accessed included names, residential addresses, phone numbers, email addresses, course details and photos of the students. Emergency contact details were also exposed, potentially extending the impact of the data breach beyond the current and present student. The university was keen to stress that no credit card details, tax file numbers, medical records, passports or banking information were stored in the system. Affected individuals have been urged to remain vigilant about where you store your data and be alert to this activity. If we get any update from the University of Western Australia, we will of course bring to you the next website of the Public Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. To Canada now, and the full impact of a data breach of Prince Edward Island's largest art centre is now becoming clear. The results of a recent intervening investigation show that thousands of people had their personal information exposed. The cyber attack was first reported by the Confederation of the Arts in January this year. In February, officials confirmed it was a ransomware attack which exposed some personal information held on the organisation's servers. The centre did pay a ransom to the attackers, but disclosed the amount paid. The recently completed investigation of the breach found about 3,000 people were exposed, some just names and email addresses, but others had their date of birth and social insurance number exposed. The attack basically took down our entire IT infrastructure, said Jody Zler, Confederation Centre of the Arts Chief Financial Officer. We had to rebuild everything from the ground up, new servers, new everything. That took a very long time, and until we'd done that, we didn't have access to the data that told us whose information was there. Officials say the affected people have been contacted with the highest risk being offered credit money insurance. Wish there was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR Made Simple. Available now on Amazon. To the Virgin Islands now, and despite reports and rumours that the Office of Management and Budget staff had been fired or relieved for spying, police officials assured the public during a press conference that Friday's visit from a Federal Bureau of Investigation Digital Forensic Team came at the request of the agency's director and was meant as a safeguard and not a raid. Speaking after a press conference at 5pm, Police Commissioner Ray Martinez said that in May, the Virgin Islands Police Department received a report from one government agency experiencing a leak of confidential information. Since then, an ongoing investigation has turned up about a dozen bugs or covert monitoring devices in at least five different departments, said Martinez. It's not known yet where the bugs came from, but to be on the safe side, the Office of Management and Budget requested police and FBI intervention about a month ago. When the FBI entered OMB this morning, it was at the request of Director Jennifer O'Neill, and we came to take a look at her information technology operating system for what she believed could have been a probable digital breach that could have occurred within her office, Martinez said during the press conference. The entire rationale behind this was the fact that she wanted to ensure that the government's financials were protected at all costs that if there was a breach that we would have been able to jump in and to tail down Kirsten. At no point was anyone within the office arrested, nor had there been a raid, Mr. added. Instead, it was a concerted effort by management and budget to make sure its digital footprint was clean. 
While nothing was found on this first day, Martin had said bugs, which can be used for either audio or video, had been found in other agencies or either been sent in for analysis or turned over to the Virgin Islands Police Department's federal partners for further investigation. That the Virgin Islands Police Department never expected to find bugs in government offices is an understatement, but it does underscore the continued need to protect confidential government information to be transparent, Martin said. While no federal investigation will be launched as a result of Friday's visit, the officials did say that monitoring will continue within management and budget. While there were reports that employees within the office were fired, officials also confirmed afterwards that three members of the agency's internet technology team were put on paid administrative leave so that the Virgin Islands Police Department can continue its work without anybody logging into the government's computer system. During the press conference, Martin has also encouraged the public to come forward with any information related to the investigation. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The Wilsonville in Arizona now and Abermere Health Service have declared that they were subject to a data breach from January 2022 to March 2022. Avamir is notifying patients that their personal information, including names, addresses, telephone numbers, dates of birth, social security numbers, driver's license numbers, financial account information, claims information and or diagnosis and medication information may have been stolen as part of the breach. If we receive any further update from Avamir on this data breach, we will speak to you in the next very website of the GDPR Weekly Show. In episode 206 of the GDPR Weekly Show, we brought you news of a data breach at Neopets. This week, some Neopets users are still locked out of their accounts following the massive data breach that allegedly compromised 60 of Neopets accounts in July. The good news is that these players have not been hacked. The problem is that it's still a little more complicated and impacting unspecified portion of Neopets players. As a result of the breach, Neopets team forced a password reset for all users on Monday, a safeguard designed to help protect users following the hack. Jumpstart, which has owned Neopets, posted an update on Neopets' website and social media, saying, As a precaution, we're taking steps to protect users' accounts, so when you next visit Neopets, you will need to change your password. The problem has arisen with users who have no longer have access to their email address that they first used when they registered with Neopets. This has led to confused pleas for help across Facebook, Reddit, Discord and other social media. Neopet, once an immensely popular creator pet website, is working on a solution. At the last count, in 2020, Neopets had a reported 100,000 daily active users. Neopets also said that there's no evidence that credit card information has been accessed in the breach. Neopets said that staff are working around the clock to add new safety measures. Multi-factor authentication is one feature which they are looking to add. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. To Switzerland now, and the Solana Foundation and Slope have provided additional information on a security breach that affected thousands of crypto wallets. It's believed that nearly 8,000 addresses were drained through what was believed to be a breach of third-party wallet app Slope. This afternoon, the Solana Foundation confirmed on the Solana status Twitter account the addresses affected by the attack were at one point created, imported or used in Slope mobile wallet applications. It added that private key information was accidentally transmitted to an application monitoring service. It said that further details are still under investigation. The attack only affected Slope's downloadable wallet app. Slope hardware wallets are still secure. Though thousands of wallets were drained, the Solana Foundation added that the Solana protocol itself was secure. Slope also commented on the situation. It said that a cohort of Slope wallets were compromised and confirmed that several of its own staff wallets were drained. Slope said that it had not confirmed the nature of the attack. We have some hypothesis as to the nature of the breach, 
but nothing is yet firm, Slope said in a statement. The company suggested that users take action to secure their funds, advise users to create a new seed phrase and wallet, and transfer their funds to that wallet. Both companies say they're performing internal investigations and working with external auditors. At least two other projects in the Solana ecosystem have been hacked this year. Casio was hacked for $28 million in March, while Wormhole was hacked for $322 million in February. Wish there was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR made simple. Available now on Amazon. Back in episode 206, we told you about a database at Twitter, and Twitter has now confirmed that the database was caused by a now-patched zero-day vulnerability used to link email addresses and phone numbers to user accounts, allowing a threat actor to compile a list of 5.4 million user account profiles. The vulnerability allowed anyone to submit an email address or phone number, verify if it was associated with a Twitter account, and retrieve the associated Twitter ID. The threat actor then used this ID to scrape the public information of the account. This allowed the threat actor to create profiles of 5.4 million Twitter in December 2021, including a verified phone number or email address and scraped public information such as follower accounts, screen name, login name, location, profile picture URL, and other information. At the time, the threat actor was selling the data for $30,000 and had said that there were interested buyers. It's later believed that two different threat actors purchased the data for less than the original selling price, and it's believed that the data could be released for free at some point in the future. In a statement, Twitter said, In January 2022, we received a report through our bug bounty program of a vulnerability that allowed someone to identify the email or phone number associated with an account, or, if they knew a person's email or phone number, they could identify their Twitter account if one existed. This bug resulted from an update to our code in June 2021. When we learned about this, we immediately investigated and fixed it. At that time, we had no evidence to suggest someone had taken advantage of the vulnerability. Twitter said that as part of today's disclosure, it now began to send out notifications this morning to alert impacted users about whether the data breach has exposed their phone number or email address. At this time, Twitter tells us they cannot determine the exact number of people impacted by the breach. However, the threat actor claims to have used the flaw to gather the data of 5,485,636 Twitter users. While no passwords were exposed in the breach, Twitter is encouraging users to enable two-factor authentication on their accounts to prevent unauthorised logins as a security measure. For those using a pseudonym Twitter account, the social media company suggests you keep your identity as anonymous as possible by not using a publicly known phone number or email address on your Twitter account. We are publishing this update because we aren't able to confirm every account that is potentially impacted and are particularly mindful of people with pseudonym accounts who can be targeted by state or other actors, warned the Twitter statement. To New Mexico now, and community health provider First Choice has notified its customers of a data security incident that may have exposed the personal protected health information of individuals treated by the firm. First Choice first learned of the security incident on March the 27th this year, following this discrepancy in its technological environment. The firm then engaged an independent cybersecurity team to investigate the scope of the attack. During the subsequent investigation, it was determined that certain protected health information may have been accessed without authorization. By June the 3rd this year, a comprehensive review of potentially impacted data was concluded. The affected personal and protected health information, as confirmed by First Choice, may have included names, social security numbers, First Choice patient ID numbers, diagnosis and clinical treatment information, medications, dates of service, health information, medical record number, patient account number, health insurance information, date of birth and provider information. On August the 1st, the company notified affected individuals of the incident through the United States Postal Service and offered resources to help protect patients' information. 
The privacy and protection of personal protected health information is our top priority, and First Choice deeply regrets any inconvenience or concern is may cause, the company said in a statement. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Question Pro, an online market research service, has disclosed its experience an extortion attempt in which a cyber actor threatened to release stolen data containing records of approximately 22 million unique email addresses unless the company hands over a Bitcoin payment. Question Pro says they've not met the hacker's demands and they are currently investigating whether a data breach has actually occurred. The prolific hacker, Pom Pom Purin, who has claimed responsibility for several recent hypover attacks, including the breach of the US Federal Bureau of Investigation's Law Enforcement Enterprise Portal and the theft of customer data from US financial services giant Robin Hood, said they acquired the database in May, but another hacker appears to be behind the extortion effort. The stolen records include email addresses, IP addresses, geographic locations, and other information related to question probe surveys. Troy Hunt, owner of Data Breach Notification Service Have I Been Pawned, says he will add the incident to his site as an unverified breach, and subscribers found in the database will be notified. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. To Germany now, and on August the 1st, 2022, Semicron reported a possible data breach stemming from what appears to be a ransomware attack. While the company's investigation is still ongoing and the exact information that's been leaked as a result of the incident has not yet been determined, the German Federal Office for Information Security reports that the ransomware attacks are threatening to leak up to 2 terabytes of data on the dark web. On August 4, 2022, Semicron posted an update on the company's website promising to notify all affected parties when its investigation concludes. According to two notices posted on the Semicron website on August 1, 2022, Semicron learned that it was a victim of a cyber attack by a professional hacker group. Evidently, the hackers told Semicron management that certain data was stolen from the company's computer system. Initially, Semicron could not validate the hackers' claims, however, the company noted that portions of its computer network were encrypted. In response, Semicron notified law enforcement and began working with a cybersecurity firm to investigate the incident and determine whether any consumer data was leaked as a result. The company's investigation is ongoing and on August 4, 2022 press release, the company noted that we do not have any definite information about data leaks at this moment. Semicron also explained that as soon as the company determines the scope of the breach, it will notify any parties whose information has been affected. Semitron is a German manufacturing company that designs and manufactures semiconductor parts. Wish there was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR made simple. Available now on Amazon. To Texas in the USA now, and on July 28, 2022, Gerdicher Group confirmed that the company experienced a data breach after an unauthorized party gained access to sensitive consumer data containing various compromised employee email accounts. According to Gerdicher, the breach resulted in the names, addresses, social security numbers, driver's license numbers, passport numbers, and certain medical information of certain employees, suppliers, and other individuals being compromised. Joe sent out data breach letters to all affected parties, informing them of the incident and what they can do to protect themselves from identity theft and other frauds. The company confirmed that the unauthorised individuals had access to employee email accounts between June 28, 2021 and August 24, 2021. After learning that sensitive consumer data was accessible to an unauthorised party, Joe then reviewed the affected files to determine what information was compromised and which consumers were impacted. While the breach information varies depending on the individual, it can include name, address, social security number, driver's license number, passport number, and certain medical information. 
You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To Brussels now, and the Data Protection Commission has urged Slovenia to fulfil its obligations under GDPR. Today, the European Commission has decided to send a reasoned opinion to Slovenia for failing to implement important obligations under GDPR, as well as for not making it possible for its Data Protection Authority to use all corrective powers under GDPR. The Commission considers that Slovenia has failed to fulfil its obligations stemming from GDPR due to its persistent failure to reform its pre-GDPR National Data Protection Framework. On 9th of February 2022, the Commission sent in a letter of formal notice to Slovenia asking it to adapt its National Data Protection Framework, including the rules on its Data Protection Authority, and to enable it to exercise effectively all corrective powers by the GDPR. Slovenia's reply to the letter of formal notice did not sufficiently address the Commission's concerns. Therefore, the Commission has now decided to send Slovenia a reasoned opinion. Slovenia now has two months to reply to the Commission's reasoned opinion. If the reply is not satisfactory, the Commission may decide to bring the matter before the Court of Justice of the European Union. If you're a regular listener to the GDPR Weekly Show, then you might remember that back in episode 82, we brought you news that Critio was being investigated by the French Data Protection Authority, CNIL. Well, Critio has now been slapped with a $65 million fine for GDPR violations, and not surprisingly, perhaps, it says it disagrees with the findings. While specific details concerning the investigation and reasons behind the proposed fine remain under wraps, Critio's Chief Legal Officer, Ryan Damon, today issued a statement saying that the firm strongly disagrees with the report's findings both on the merits relating to the investigators' assertions of non-compliance with GDPR and the quantum of the proposed sanction. He wanted to say that Critio sees the merits of this report to be fundamentally flawed and the proposed sanctions to be incommensurate with the alleged non-compliant actions. The original senior investigation was kicked off after Privacy International, a non-profit UK-based data privacy advocacy group, in 2018 filed a complaint with a handful of European authorities over the data processing practices of several ad tech firms including Critio. Specifically, Privacy International raised concerns over whether Critio was processing internet users' data, including sensitive special category data, with the appropriate user consent frameworks in place. Privacy International also alleged that certain high-level GDPR principles such as fairness, transparency, data minimization, accuracy, integrity, and purpose limitation were not being met by Critio. Critio has the right to respond to the investigation's findings in writing, and is preparing for a formal hearing before the Senior Sanction Committee. Following this hearing, the committee will issue a draft decision, which will then be reviewed by other European data authorities. A final decision on the case, as well as associated fines, is likely not to be finalised until sometime in 2023, according to Critio. We look forward to further dialogue with Senior, as well as to defend our case to the ultimate arbitrator of a final decision, said Damon in his statement. Critio continues to uphold the highest privacy standards, and operates a fully transparent and regulatory compliant global business. Doubtless other ad tech firms will be looking on this decision rather nervously, as they will not want the $65 million penalty to become the benchmark by which they are all judged. We will of course keep an eye on this for you, and bring you any updates as we receive them right here on the GDPR Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. We hope that you've enjoyed this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show and that you found the information useful and informative. We do really appreciate your feedback, so please do email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com with any comments you might have about the articles we've raised this week or indeed any suggestions you might have for improvements to the show. The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurance production. 
Please be advised that any advice given during the show is general in nature and should be not be taken as specific legal advice. You should always seek legal advice according to your own specific circumstances. Until next time, bye-bye.